Good afternoon. It is Friday, May 11th, 2012. This is Chickie Fitzgerald, and it is my pleasure to introduce to you our guest today, Fawn Germer. Fawn, can I just get you to give us a little thumbnail of your background? I know you are a best-selling Oprah author and a speaker, and uh, you are referred to by folks who know you as a sage. I, I love that title. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a nerdy woman who started up in, you know, the nerdy one playing the flute in the band and didn't really understand that you could embrace your excellence when you're young and and do anything because I didn't realize that all you had to have was that desire. And my first career was as a journalist. I was an investigative reporter, and I did very well with that. I was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize four times and then got what I call a brand new boss hole and (laughs) he he, uh, clashed with me because I said you have no women writing columns at at this paper and I would like to be a columnist and he said you think you'll be a columnist, you're never going to be any more than you are right now. You'll never be more than a reporter. Mm. And that had to be my life-defining moment, the moment where, you know, initially I didn't see it as that. I spent two years trying to win his a- approval and affection, and that never happened. And he kept trying to get in the way and derail me. And it was the hardest thing that I had ever been through professionally. I just, I, I was in such dire straits. I felt so bad. And when the city editor at that paper promoted me to Night City Editor, and then that guy derailed that. <clears throat> I knew I had to do something, and I went to the, the guys that were trying to recruit me to the paper in Tampa, and I said, if you're ever going to do it, do it now. And they did. So I went into editing at that paper and into management and used all those skills that had made me a successful reporter, you know, hard charging, no right. BS, very impatient, get it done now, black or white thinking, right or wrong, and as a manager and as a leader, I was a disaster. And I went looking for a book telling me how to be a strong woman and an effective leader, and there wasn't anything. Somebody said, well, you're a reporter. You should write it. And I was so sick of people writing books when they had no expertise, and I said, no way. And I started to think I could get to anybody as a journalist, and nobody had gone to the strongest women of our times and said, what did you learn the hard way? So I started doing these interviews, and, you know, it was quite quite an odyssey. I had this idea that I was writing this best-selling book, and all of them talked about taking risks and betting on yourself, and so I did, and I, I quit my job to finish the book, and then I couldn't get the book sold, and I just kept kind of plodding through and eventually I figured out the problem with the book. I got it sold. It came out the day before 9-11. I kept trying, got it on Oprah, and that's kind of the end of that. You know, I still have struggles, you know, like every person in business. You have great years and you have years that are, are... I haven't had a bad year. I've had good years and great years and have learned to ride it and love it, and I have a great time. I get to go all over the world and and talk to women and help make them stronger. And the truth is, if I had not gone through that horrible, horrible year, well, two years, none of this would have happened. So 
it was a real blessing, but at the time it was so hard. I just didn't understand that it was setting the groundwork for my whole rest of my life. Wow. And so, Fawn, do you still live here in Tampa? I live in Clearwater. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I, I've been here in Tampa for 12 years. I, I I don't know why I didn't focus on that. Patty I, Patty didn't mention that to me when, when she scheduled you, but that is terrific. I, I uh, Yeah, I tell love. you, well, if you're there in Tampa, you gotta you got to come and see the light and move over to Pinellas because I did three three stints in Tampa, and I'm, I'm a Pinellas person now. <laughs> Well, I'm not too far from the border. <laughs> okay. So uh, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about your books, but uh, our, our folks uh, are, are avid readers and, and uh, do do love to uh, consume the books that are written by uh, by our guests. And so uh, Fawn's latest book is called Pearl's Powerful Wisdom from Powerful Women. She also has one called The Hard Questions That Will Lead You to the Aha Moment. <laughs> Um, Another one, Finding the Up and the Downturn. I love that one. Uh, Mustang Sally's Success Secrets of Women Who Refuse to Run with the Herd. Uh, I think I am that woman. Uh, Hard Won Wisdom, again, another uh, collaborative book about 50 uh, extraordinary women. And then The New Woman Rules, More Than 50 Trailblazers. So, wow, I would say that you definitely have been successful at an, at becoming an author, and that uh, that guy who said you'd never be more than that reporter was wrong. <laughs> oh, I say I love the the whole author process, and you know, since I speak so much, I go out. That's a very extroverted activity. I have to go and and schmooze and and do my events, and and I love that. I love that. But then when I come home, I am so quiet. And then that's where I retreat into the the writing. And when you hold the book that you've made, it feels a lot better than when I was a newspaper reporter holding the paper. You know, like right. This is something that that's going to last a while. And they are everybody comes to my book line after the event and they say, which one's your favorite? And it's like, well, do I like my right arm or my right leg? I, I like <laughs> them both, you know. And and um. But I, I love pearls. That's in terms of of a, a special book. That's a gift book. So it's got the best quotes from three of my books, kind of like a greatest mm-hmm. hits. And I did that one because some of the titles had changed for the women that I interviewed. Because you know, when when Hillary Clinton was in Mustang Sally's, she was just a senator. Right. And so you know, I needed something to kind of update that, and then that kind of is part of what I call a viability plan, and we could talk about that later, but, you know, with downloads getting so important, if I sell a gift book at an event, then I can <clears throat> sell the downloads as a bonus, and and that was that plan, so I love that one. Hard One Wisdom, <clears throat> boy, I'm sorry about that. Hard One Wisdom was my first book, and I love that one for when I'm just having a hard time because that really is very inspiring to me, and then Mustang Sally's, is like you said the women that don't run with the herd that was the most validating moment of my life to realize how women of excellence have a general feeling of being misfits because the more you rise up the more you don't fit in with the mainstream and Absolutely. I I think I always felt that's you know I said I used to be a nerd and and some of that is that when you're excellent you're just not in the mainstream that is so. so so true. So when when you 
speak about leadership, and I know you do a lot of keynote speaking, what is your your favorite um, portion of leadership to talk about? So if they just say, come and talk to us about leadership, how do you drill that down to something that's going to be a practical takeaway for the people in the audience? Well, the one that is my mission is that I try to find a way to fit this in no matter which audience I'm in front of. And, and sometimes I'm talking to men, too. And so, of course, it's I always notice I make more money when men are in the room, but I have a lot more fun when it's women. And <laughs> But it's the self-esteem portion of it. And right. I was very lucky that when I started doing interviews with great women, and, and this has been everybody from Academy Award winners and, like I said, Hillary Clinton, women like Martina Navratilova and all these these great women that we put on pedestals. But the third interview I did was with a woman named Christine Fugel-Hughes. And I'm sure you've never heard of her. She's the founder of a company called Nature Sunshine Vitamins. And that company was started with her idea and $150. She had seven kids and no college degree, but this idea... And she turned it into a company that this year will make more than $400 million. So I said, well, let's talk mm-hmm. about your leadership style. And she says, well, you know, I, I go to the closet every morning and I, I look for something that fits me because I'm overweight and I just go out in the world and do the best I can. And I said, well, let's talk about your weight because that had been my issue always. And and there was this huge sigh. She said, can you... Imagine what it's like to stand in front of a vitamin company and be fat. And so then we started talking about self-esteem. And because of that interview, I asked all those women that I interviewed for that book about their self-esteem and found out that almost universally Mm. every one of them had some sort of a self-esteem issue. Interestingly, mostly around body image, but we'll get to that in a second. Five of them said they had good self-esteem, and I always say I don't believe four of the five, but I did believe Jane Goodall. When you see people that we look up to like that all saying that they have self-esteem issues, that tells you that it's a big crock that we're playing on ourselves. Right. And whether the subject is whether you feel like you're not deserving of the job you have or whether you're picking on yourself because you do need to lose 10 pounds, it doesn't matter. All of that negativity affects your output in this world. And you can't say that it doesn't. Negativity breeds negativity. You may be very successful in spite of it, but imagine if you had only positive thoughts. Not only would your performance be better, but your enjoyment of your life would be better. And so I am... Proud to report, finally, 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 that I probably have the best self-esteem of anybody I've ever met, and that is only because now I realize how everybody else has lousy self-esteem. That <laughs> and what? you can wear orange leather. Oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. looking at your picture on your yeah. uh, on your website. What a fabulous piece of clothing! Oh my God, wouldn't I love to get another one of those? I want lime green, but <laughs> but it's it's no, I mean it's it's seriously is that the decision. Self-esteem comes down to a decision to have good self-esteem. Right. And we have that power. And that impacts our performance in the ranks and as leaders. It affects how we live our lives every day. And the minute you turn that negative voice off, you can do anything. So that's that's my favorite message. And 
that was my million dollar moment. I always say when I write a book, I get a million bucks worth of free therapy. <laughs> now, you talked for a minute about the viability blueprint. I know that that's another one of your leadership speaking topics. So, talk to us a little bit about that. All right. Chicky, how old are you now? 54. I'm 51. Isn't it a shame that we had to learn how to do all this Facebook and Internet stuff? We were too young to escape it and too old to enjoy it that (laughs) we don't know. We have to tweet and we have to do all of this stuff. Remember those simple days when you'd come back into the office and somebody would hand you a pink slip of paper that said, while you were out. Remember that? (laughs) Exactly. I do. Life was so much easier to manage. And, you know, back in those days, people who had longevity with a company earned, at least in their minds, the right to coast, right? Right. That that they would get some sort of a reward for all they put in. Now, with what's happened with the economy, combined with what's happened with technology, we learn that people who, once they hit really 40, are constantly required to define and redefine themselves and demonstrate that in order to be considered viable. That did when all the layoffs came, did longevity count for anything? No. No, no in fact, it was the penalty. Right, it was the penalty. That's the point. It was the penalty because you were making more, and you kind of knew less than kids coming out of school who knew the technologies. These kids can do things in no time flat because they know how to manage these things. You know, and I'm, I, it's stressful to me because I'm always finding out that whatever I'm doing is the wrong thing. I was just told last week that email is so passe; it's all about texting. And right. you know, but with with whatever you're doing for your work, you have to find the way to make yourself viable. And the example that I used earlier is is my viability plan. You know, I gave a, a keynote last year to what I had four hundred twenty to twenty two year old sorority girls. Okay, this was their annual conference, and I had shipped a bunch of books because I knew they had a bunch of money, and I got a standing ovation. I was so proud because my res- my message had resonated through the generations, mm-hmm. and then I went to my book pl- table, and I sold two. Okay, 400 people, two books. And the meeting planner was so apologetic. I'm so sorry, Fawn. I guess they're just not readers. And the downloads that week went crazy through Amazon, okay? Wow. And I thought, okay. And I wasn't mad that happened. I was actually very, very grateful because that gave me a window into what was coming. You know, other people don't get to stand in front of 20 to 22-year-olds and see how the habits are going to change. Because, you know, if I'm talking to middle-aged people, I still sell tons and tons of books. So if it's all going to go electronic, what am I going to do? Well, my first thought is to try to preserve the income I get after I speak because people buy a lot of books. And, and, And I'm trying to just see how can I desperately maintain my status quo instead of looking at it and saying how can I grow it by using the technology. And that really is what has happened, is that when I I came up with Pearls, it is the most beautiful book I've done. It is a square book with a beautiful um, uh, embroidered gold bookmark, right, so that when I stand on stage, I open it, the, the 
paper is the best you can get, right? I pull mm-hmm. that bookmark out, make people want it. Because then when they see me and then get excited, I can say, well, you can get some fries with your order. You know, the fries are for $35 more or for $50 more, you get all these downloads, and then they'll do it because they need my signature on something, but right. they want it as a download. So that's my viability blueprint. Anybody in any profession needs to look at what they're doing and saying, how do I combine technology with opportunity? And how do I get in front of it? You have to learn something every single day. And if you don't, you are just, as I say, painting yourself irrelevant. Mm. Because companies don't care about what you knew or what you've done. They only want to know what you know and where you're going. And that's where everybody's tripping up, that, that you know, they hit middle age and they just are like, yeah, but I just learned this over here. Well, right. you need to learn that over there. And it, it's not fun. I, I prefer to kayak out to this island down the street from me and just sit on that island for the next 10 years and sit this out. But you know what? I don't have that opportunity. Well, and one of your other topics that, that you speak on is about thriving in your discomfort zone. And, and this seems to, you know, the conversation has moved into that place, that there are things that uh, that we are good at and, and that as we sit back and, and try to figure out how to how to milk that, um, you know, we realize that, that we can't stay at that place. And I've, I've had a number of calls this week from people who are either trying to get into the travel industry or trying to figure out, you know, what their next gig is. And, you know, each one of them has, has talked about those places where they have been comfortable and how, how the job market just isn't looking for those things anymore. So what do you tell uh, folks about taking charge of their career? All right, well, you know, the thriving in the discomfort zone actually has a, is an old story, is that we used to think that we wanted to get out in the workplace and then move up the ladder, right? Mm-hmm. But companies really found that it was much more important to have people who had expertise in areas across the board so that you know, you might be in marketing, but you don't know supply chain. Or, but you have to learn what right. it is it's going to take to move you up. And that may mean you take a lateral move or even a demotion in order to ex- get the expertise you need. And also it means diving into that area where you know nothing and you're very uncomfortable. All I can say is when you do it, you have a couple of bad weeks and then it's going to get a little easier and then... Well, I'll give you a great example. When I was a reporter, I went to cover the legislature, and you're you're competing against other newspapers, and everybody gets the same menu in the morning with with ten different meetings happening at the same time, and you're responsible for all of them. And guess what? You can't be in all of them, right? right? So that first week of covering the legislature was the most stressful thing I ever did. I remember coming home, and it's Sunday night, and I'm getting ready to go back to work on Monday. And I'm a little freaked out because it is gonna it's gonna be stressful again. But then it hit me. The next Sunday was gonna be a little easier and then the one after would be easier. And you know, in six weeks I had it down. I'd figured out what I needed to know. And that's what happens in your discomfort zone. You mm-hmm. dive in, it's a very cold shock when you get into that water. But then the water warms up the longer you're in it. Right, 
and you just keep right. doing that. Keep moving forward. I know there was a second part to your question, but I'm menopausal and I forget. Well, it's it just <laughs> no, it's the whole issue of really, really taking charge for your career. And I was having a call yeah. with someone this morning who. Uh, you know, had a fairly long corporate career and and kind of bounced back and forth between major consulting firms and and uh, large uh, travel suppliers. And you know, we were talking about what happens when you think you want to go out and consult. And you know, there are a number of people who find themselves out of work, and that becomes kind of the natural thought process. But you really have to be able to make a business of it. And it, in many ways, it's harder work than going back. Uh, to work for for someone, but it's this whole notion of of really taking charge of your career, and I, I think it also ties back to what you were talking about of of your self esteem and your ability at whatever age you are to walk in to an interview if you can even get an interview these days. I mean that that's a, a whole separate topic, but you know figuring out what it is you want to do and what what it is that you want to be and having the the guts to pursue it. So. It's that t- charge that um, that I was asking in the second part of the question. Yeah, well, it's like you got to know what you want. Don't you hate it when somebody has been forced back into the work, into the the cold, cruel world, has to redefine themselves, and set, hands you their resume, and then thinks that you're going to know what they're supposed to do? It's like <laughs> people say, "I should work for this company because I'm smart and I have all these skills." If you don't know what you've got to offer, don't expect somebody else who's spending three minutes looking at your resume to figure out your life for you. There is real self-exploration that needs to be done, and that means you take control of it. Figure out what it is you want and what you've got to offer. And community colleges are great places because most of them have places where you can take tests and figure out where your interests are. And then as you network, then you start to brainstorm more with people. But you can't just say, help me, because that kind of a thing is so rare. And and when it, the odds of it being a good match are just about the same as your odds of first date out on Match.com coming up with the perfect life mate for you. Right. You know, you, you, it doesn't. So it's up to you to take responsibility. Well, very good. Well, Fun thinking back on all of your different books, what was your most surprising interview? Where you learned something that you just wouldn't have known? Ah, uh, surprising. Because I know particularly with, with the personalities that you've uh, interviewed that are, are such public... Uh, figures that we all think that we know them, and and that once you sit down, it's like wow. I mean, I had a boss like that once that everybody thought she was really super elitist, and then when I finally got to know her, I realized she was just incredibly shy, <laughs> and everybody oh, thought, yeah, oh well, you have to be in her inner circle. Well, no, she was only comfortable being with one or two people maximum, <laughs> but she was running a company of like eighteen thousand. Well, you know, I I, I thought that was interesting. I I was interviewing the CIO of Bacardi before, and she was talking about how she can give a speech to 2,000 people, but she can't stand a cocktail party. And I understand Mm. that completely. Um, Surprising to me, I'll I'll give you a surprising one. Most of them were 
that that hit me the takeaway ones were things that really changed my life like the self-esteem one like Sylvia Earle the oceanographer saying something that made me have the courage the next day to leave my career as a journalist forever you know it's like something like that but the surprise to me was that the most arrogant person that I interviewed was not somebody that I was interviewing as a, a well-known person. It wasn't one of the celebrity interviews. It wasn't, if I gave you her name, you wouldn't know it. It was a Harvard professor that I was talking to for backup and interpretation of some of this stuff. And mm-hmm. she said, well, well, who else is in this book? And I told her, and she goes, well, these are my peers. I thought you were going to interview, have women like Golda Meir. And I said, yeah, I would have loved to, but she's been dead for 30 years. You know, it's like one of those, <laughs> you know, just who are you? So the thing that told me that it surprised me that she was that arrogant and then by contrast that the others were so kind and giving. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Well, Fawn, I know you also you write for the Huffington Post. And uh, you do, uh, as we have talked about, you do a lot of keynote speaking. Um, how can folks get in touch with you if they are interested in having you come to speak for their organization or if they'd like to follow you um, on social media? Well, I'm on Facebook, and you've got my friend Facebook and then the author one, and I still am not doing the best job of taking care of the author page. So add me as a real friend. I like that anyhow because then you can see my my kayaking pictures and stuff. Um, and that's just Facebook. That I think Fawn Germer all is one word. And then my website is com, which is F-A-W-N-G-E-R-M-E-R.com. And that is um, pretty much where you got my, my contact information all there. So that's the best way to get me is through com, And I always laugh about that because I had to get the different domains as you can imagine, because your name is Chicky, right? How right. many different ways do you think they think my name is done? It's Fawn, and it's like a deer. And there was a lady who used to always see me walking in the park every day, and she'd get so excited when she'd see me, and she'd go, Bambi! <laughs> it has always been screwed up, but it's Fawn Germer. So that's oh, it. that is funny. <laughs> Well, and if they want to read uh, your column on the Huffington Post, and and you can uh, get both the RSS feed and and follow her, it's huffingtonpost.com slash fawn-germer. I'm a a big fan of the Huffington Post. So uh, love love that you're you're there, and I will make sure to to follow and read your stuff. Well, you make me feel guilty. It's been a while since I've written one. You know, it's like I just, but I've been told blogging is passe now. See? Everything you, you just when you think you've got it, you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> well, you know it's funny because I I blog, but very very specifically about uh, uh, distribution in the travel industry, which is what I'm known for in my consulting business. And uh, you know I haven't written for a couple of months, but I still get like 120 people a day coming and reading. It's like, oh, I'm letting them down because they're coming and looking and not, not finding anything new. <laughs> Oh, but hopefully they're going deal. back well, and reading the old stuff. Now, if you want to read my old blogs, which there are many and they're good because people like them, I think, but that's at hardwindwisdom.com. Mm. And I think you can get to that through fawngermer.com. I, I really liked blogging until I didn't. And so I I got to 
I got to get on top of that. I'll do that this summer. That'll give me a goal. Well, you know, it's interesting because I wrote a book uh, called Bootstrap Business, which was the story of my spectacular failure of raising seven million dollars and building out game-changing technology, and then having running out of. Uh, Capital about 45 days after we launched on one of the major online travel sites. And oh, uh, what wow. I've done with that book is I've just gone back and blogged, um, you know, kind of a couple of paragraphs at a time, um, you know, of, of things that were in the book. And, you know, my, my copyright allows me to do that. So uh, that's kind of the cheater's way of blogging if you're an author. <laughs> I know, but see, I'm a journalist and I can't cheat. That's the problem. <laughs> I know, but it's like it's like when Ann Landers would write all of her old columns and stuff, and I always thought, oh, I would never do that. So, I, you know, I just need to sit down and write. I'm, I'm a writer. <laughs> it won't kill me. Right. It won't kill me. Well, fun. It has been great, and I am so excited that you're here locally because uh, I, I always try to eventually meet the folks who I interview and, you know, just keep track of, of where everybody lives. And if I get to that city, I give them a call, and, and here you are in my backyard. So, Just across the bay. All right. Well, it has been terrific, and I, I know we do have uh, at, at least uh, – oh, we've got a couple of people who are – are on live, so I just want to see if Joyce or Patty have anything that they would like to uh, comment on. And if you did put us on mute, please uh, take us off mute. Any comments or questions? Everybody's shy today. I guess so. Come on, you guys. Well, we will uh we will let them contact you directly if they have any any questions. And uh for our executive girlfriends group members, um Patty who is our executive producer has uh put Fawn's information on the executive girlfriends group private platform. And for those of you who are listening who are not members to the executive girlfriends group, you can look at our public site executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. Uh, for more information. And Fawn, it has been terrific, and uh, I can't wait to uh, download a couple of your books to my Kindle. And I do, uh, even as a 54-year-old, prefer also the electronics so I can carry them all with me without lugging heavy books. I got my iPad just right next to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I hope you have a marvelous weekend. It's a gorgeous day here in Tampa, albeit a little bit hot but um, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And I didn't even ask if you were a mom. If you are, happy Mother's Day. If you aren't, uh, then Yeah, I'm just waiting for my dog to come through with good flowers for me on Sunday. That, that's my baby. <laughs> well, I, I told my husband I wanted a new purse for uh, for Mother's Day. So I, uh, he was going to be out of town. So he told me to go buy it yesterday. So I bought it and took a picture and posted it on Facebook and said, happy uh, Mother's Day to me. Oh, I love it. Yay. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you have a terrific weekend. And again, thank you so, so much uh, for your time. Okay, it's my pleasure. Have a great weekend. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.